amazing about this text, and we're going to look at uh, this later on down in, two, uh, in uh, the year 2017. We're going to look at John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 in depth. But today I want you just to kind of notice something that Jesus had said before this in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus addressing his disciples says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. You have to understand that when Jesus is giving these words, when he begins to teach these disciples about the work of God's Holy Spirit, it's the night that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, and it's the day before he's going to be crucified. And when this is happening, as he begins to prepare his disciples that these things are going to take place, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified, he's going away, they are distraught. They're not just distraught because they're afraid of the pain he's going to go through. They weren't really catching on to that part. They were distraught because Jesus, in a very real way, had parented them in a way they never experienced before. And I know that sounds a bit odd, talking about Jesus parenting these men, especially because he was probably not much older, if at all older, than most of them. But he had. He, when he addresses them as little children, he does so on purpose. He had had this kind of relationship where they had experienced his his, well, his rebuke. They knew what it was like. They felt the sting of being corrected by him, as we would by our own fathers. They had experienced a great comfort. We have scenes, even in, in chapter 13, where, G, where, where John, the disciple, who was called the, th- the son of thunder, it's really man's man, is actually laying his head on Jesus' chest. They were that close. There was that kind of intimacy and comfort. They had experienced that. They had seen his power. They saw what he could do. He acted as God on earth. And so that they were experiencing a, a parenting, a kind of an oversight that they never even could have imagined before Jesus came on the scene. And now he's saying he's going away. Now, I don't know about you, but I know a little bit of what it means to feel like someone who is meaningful in your life, someone who is parenting you goes away. One of my very first memories is my mom and dad fighting, my mom getting in the car and driving off. And I did see her again. We still have a good relationship today. She was here not too long ago visiting. But the thing was, my mom left and then left my dad to raise us. And that, that lack, in a very small way, is something like this where you thought, it's not right, they should be here with me. And this is what these disciples are feeling. In fact, they were feeling this so desperately that, that Thomas had said a, a few verses earlier in chapter 14. He says, Lord, if you just show us the Father, that'll be enough. If we can just get the vision for the Father, that'll be enough. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Which probably only added pain to the circumstance. They did not want him to leave. Which is why he says those words in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. Some of your versions might say, I will not leave you comfortless or something along that lines. But the word there is a specific word. It means, I will not leave you fatherless. I will not leave you as an orphan. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used in James chapter 1, verse 27, where James, who happens to be Jesus' little brother, half-brother at least, James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Listen, to look after orphans and widows 
in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, I want you to think about this. These two places the word orphan is used. One is when Jesus is wanting to comfort his disciples, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. And the other is when we are commanded as disciples to do what? To take care of orphans. This is what we mean by orphan care. We mean this James 1.27. And so there's got to be in our minds a connection between the fact that we have not been left orphans and therefore God calls us to demonstrate that truth by taking care of orphans. So what I want to do is quickly, I want to kind of give you three main things that we're going to see in this text, I believe, that, that from Jesus' words about the ministry of the Spirit that actually also show us or motivate us toward orphan care. So in verse 16, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you another helper. And the word for another is a very specific word in the Greek language, the language the Scripture was written. It's a, this word that means another of the same kind. In fact, the word helper there, sometimes it might be translated comforter, but it's also used of Jesus. It's used of, of the Holy Spirit usually, but it's also used of Jesus in, um, in John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Same word as helper here in John 14, 16, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The idea of advocate, it's kind of like a defense attorney, but on steroids. It's like someone who, who is wanting to come to your defense, wanting to come to your aid, wanting to make sure that you're protected from the, the effects of the law. But it's, it's, it, when it's used of the Holy Spirit, when it's used of Jesus, it's more than just this legal responsibility. It's this idea of someone who's going to protect you in that way as a father would a child. And so it's interesting because Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you another helper. And he's referencing the Holy Spirit, but he says, another of the same kind who's going to do the same kind of help for you. This is what he's promising them. Now, the Bible says this in the book of Romans. It says that you, speaking of us believers, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. Notice, if indeed... The Spirit of God lives in you. That's the Holy Spirit, whom we're talking about. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, do you notice that? Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. Those aren't two different spirits. The same Holy Spirit with these two different descriptions. If they don't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Do you see what's happening there in Romans chapter 8? That Paul the writer is saying, listen, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, is the Spirit of Christ. That's who He is. They have the same character. They have the same motivations. In fact, the ministry that Jesus accomplished here by His death and resurrection and ascension, that ministry is what the Holy Spirit is applying to our life now. So if you're not a Christian and you're going, this Jesus stuff is something I need to know about, your desire to know that is in part because the Holy Spirit is working in your life to say, I want you to know what Jesus has done for you. This is the work of the Spirit. Now it's interesting because Jesus says that this, this helper that's like him, this Holy Spirit, when he's sent, he says he will that he may, listen, abide with you forever, he says in verse 16. Now, we could get into all kinds of theology about why that, I think, means that you can't lose your salvation, but that's not the point today. The point is this. He's talking about a relationship. Listen, 
He's talking about a relationship where there is no expectation of separation. That's what he's talking about. What are these guys worried about? The disciples are worried because they're thinking, Jesus is going to leave. We, we, there's no one else like Jesus. How can we survive without our Messiah here with us? And Jesus is saying, don't worry. I'm going to be with you because I'm sending another helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. This is important. This, this speaks to orphan care because here's the truth. Okay, listen. Orphan care means that we are pursuing permanent homes for children. That's what it means. That when God says, look after orphans and widows, and that looking after is meant to reflect the gospel, the truth of what God's done for us, part of that means we are pursuing permanent homes for children. That's why we are so pro-adoption. But even in foster care, it's the same way. Because what we're doing when we're fostering is there's two goals to foster care. One goal is, if possible, to put those children back with <coughs> their, their birth parents, if it's possible. If we can help the parents, uh, especially you know, these, these ones that really you know, have to help them overcome drugs or, or gambling addictions, whatever else the case might be, getting out of abusive relationships, if we can help them and protect the kids and then get the kids back to them, that's great. That's, that's one of the goals. But it's to get them back to a permanent home. If we can't, it's to, it's to look after them until they can get into a permanent home. That's what orphan care is. So can you see the connection? Can you see this reality that what God has given us in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit is a permanent relationship with God? And therefore, when we're involved in orphan care, it's a way to declare, look, the relationship that this God, this creator God wants to have with you is a permanent one. Not one when maybe he's going to be there for a while, but that he's going to bail later on. Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 17, he speaks of the Holy Spirit as this. He says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But notice what Jesus says, But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. It's interesting that he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Truth is, is, is one of these things where it's not always pleasant, but according to Jesus, it's always liberating. And have you experienced that as parents? You, you who are already parents, have you experienced that, right? Maybe if your kids are still teeny tiny, you haven't. But when you, as they get older, what you experience is you have to tell them the truth about their behavior, about their needs, about what they can have and can't have. And sometimes they don't like it, and sometimes you don't even like saying it. It's always a pleasant thing. But Jesus said this about the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. According to Jesus, the truth is both definable, you can know what it is, you can say what it is, and it's liberating. This is important. It's important because we're not trying to paint a picture of, hey, just become adoptive parents or foster, or let's just support because it's wonderful. This is why we wanted Clayton uh, and, and Adam to share some of their story. It's not an easy process. Parenting itself is not an easy process without throwing in the extra baggage that can come with children who have been harmed. But also I want you to notice that what Jesus says here about the Holy Spirit, he, he, he tells these disciples, listen, the spirit of truth is going to come and what's going to happen is um, <clears throat> it's, it's a spirit that the world can't receive, but you can, because here's why, because he dwells with you and will be in you. Do you notice what he's describing here? He's describing something that's like a relationship that's transitioning from what he calls a with to an in. Now, the Bible's really clear that the Holy Spirit's been working from creation. 
Genesis uh, 1 and 2 talks about that, that, that speaks of the Holy Spirit's involvement in creation, that God, the Spirit, was involved in creation. And the Holy Spirit's been working ever since God has been redeeming people. God's Spirit's been working. God's been uh, busy working with His created order. But the, what he's trying to say here is there's, there's a new relationship that's going to take place where it's not just been the Holy Spirit kind of coming alongside you, with you, to sort of show you that, that Jesus indeed is who you should be, but he is going to come and dwell in you. There's, there's an intimacy that's going to come, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the point is, there's a transitional relationship that has to take place. Now, again, even this by itself, in, in our relationship with God, is important for us to recognize because it's one thing for us to be in a place where we are beginning to understand, yeah, I think this Jesus guy was, was who he said he was, and, I, and I, I, I can see why I need uh, God's forgiveness, and I, I can, it makes sense to me that I, that forgiveness has to be paid for, that God would have to pay for that. And so as these things are beginning to make sense to us, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But listen, there's a big difference between beginning to understand truth and having that truth already set you free. There's a process that takes place. And this is one of the things that I want you guys to understand from a, a spiritual perspective is, is that we would never, ever, I, one of the things that I worry about, I guess, if I can use that word, one of the things that concerns me most, that I pray about often, is facing the Lord and giving account for my ministry and assuming all these people that I thought were Christians weren't really Christians. People who have made a mental assent to the truth. They had said to themselves, yeah, 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 okay, Jesus makes sense. That's a good thing. Church life is helpful. I'll be a part of church life. That sounds good. But they've never actually come to know God in a real way. They've never had the Holy Spirit coming from alongside to coming to dwell within. They haven't been what Jesus called being born again. You know what that's like? It's, it's like, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a, a parent visiting an orphanage, a potential parent visiting an orphanage and saying to the child, I'd like to adopt you. Would you like to come home to me? And, and the child says, that's great. But the child refuses to get in the car. The child refuses to go home with them. And the child just decides to stay in the orphanage the whole time saying, it's okay, I have, I have a parent. They just live over there. And they don't ever want to go. I'd hate for that to be the case with any of us here. I'd hate for any of you to be in a place where you're still orphans when God is saying, I want to adopt you in my family. But this also tells us something else. It gives us a hint, or, or, or it reminds us about what we can expect with orphan care. See, the, the thing with orphan care <laughs> is that <laughs> it also means that we connect children to nurturing relationships. I don't know if you realize this, but this is what God wants for us. God isn't calling us to just join a religion. God isn't calling us to just believe certain historical facts or theological truths. God is calling us to relationship. And it's relationship where He begins to change us from the inside out. He nurtures us. Sometimes it's painful to be in that relationship, but He still is wants that relationship. He nurtures us. This is part of the gospel. This is what's amazing to me. What's amazing to me is is the fact that, you know, when I look at the Scripture and, and as I relate to God through Scripture, one of the things that I, I recognize and I experience is the fact that I am not just believing ideas, but that God Himself is in my life working in me to change me. 
God's doing this. God's relating to me. He's working in my life. He's changing me little by little. That I worship a God who nurtures me, who takes care of me. He didn't just say, sign on the dotted line, here's a contract, okay, now you're in the family, see you after you die. He doesn't do that. He calls me to himself, he shows me why I need his son, and then when I come to faith in him, he comes and lives in me by his Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing, nurturing relationship. See, here's the thing about, <coughs> about the gospel. The gospel gives us the hope of a permanent relationship, but it also gives us the comfort of a continuing relationship. Hope is an expectation for the future. I expect to be with God forever, and it's going to be glorious. But I also have the comfort of the fact of God's with me right now. That's why I can't sing that song, Good, Good Father, without crying. Because I think, oh, Lord, you really are that good. And it's just an overwhelming thought that God is that good and he is with me that, in that real way. So this speaks to uh, orphan care. It means that we want this for kids. We want children who don't have nurturing relationships to be connected to nurturing relationships. We see that that communicates the gospel. It communicates what God's done for us. Now we get to verse 18, and of course Jesus had said here, right, I won't leave you orphans. He says, I will come to you. And notice in verse 19, he says, a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now, I, I do believe that he's talking here about his resurrection. He's going to go, he's going to be crucified, they're going to be completely distraught. But then what's going to happen is, as he said he would, he's going to rise again three days later, and he did that. And he showed himself to the disciples. He showed himself to 500 at once. So I do believe he's referring to the resurrection. And, and it's, it's important because he says clearly here in verse 19, because I live, you will live also. He's saying to them, listen, you don't have to, you don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen to you even though you're going to see what's going to happen to me because death will not have victory here. With his resurrection, he's, gonna show, he's, gonna, he's going to prove to us that truth, that death is not the final victor. Jesus is. Now here's what's interesting. Because he's talking here about his resurrection, he's meaning also all that happens before that. He's also referring to the fact that he is beaten beyond recognition. That he is rejected even by those who, for the most part, by those who had said they believed in him that he is rejected by the nation of Israel as a whole. And that he does, on that cross, experience the wrath of God for us. He suffers so that we can be with him forever. That's what he does. And his resurrection proves that it was enough. His resurrection proves that we can have hope for eternal life. Now, this is really important. And if, and in fact, I think the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel uh, of Jesus, uniquely equips us as Christians to be involved in orphan care. Because orphan care is one of the most emotionally draining ministries you can have. I mean, if you don't believe me, just do kids' ministry once a month. They're not orphans. They all have, they all have parents. But I'll tell you what, it's exhausting. This is why we only have you do it once a month. <laughs> 
It's, it's so difficult to, to be with children. This is why we have great compassion and, and give great support as we can to, to moms of small children who are with those small children all day long. It is exhausting. Imagine those small children also having the baggage of attachment issues or no parents at all. They're in an orphanage still. And you can kind of think about what does it take to actually meet that need? It takes... It takes a lot more than we have naturally. I actually, to be honest, I know there are people who do not believe in Jesus who actually get involved in, in foster care and adoption, and they're great people. I would not want to be anything but thankful for their work. But I got to tell you, they are more the exception than the rule because it is so hard to do. Now, why am I talking about this in, in the reference to the resurrection? Because here's the good news, guys. The good news is, Because Jesus is alive, we look forward to being alive. That we're alive now spiritually and we're going to be alive eternally, forever. But you know what else? The Bible teaches that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The power of the Holy Spirit. Where do we find the strength? Where do we find the power to love people that are just messed up? To love children when they're so broken? Where do we find that? The gospel. The work of the Holy Spirit. Applying the gospel to our lives. We are uniquely qualified. We have access to this amazing resource of God himself that would allow us to be able to do this, to be involved in this kind of ministry. He goes on to say in verse 20, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And there's a lot of profound stuff here that we're not going to get into this morning, but let me just say this. I believe that when he says at that day, he's not referring to the day of resurrection, but there I believe he's referring to the day of Pentecost. That's my conviction. Because at the day of Pentecost, what happened is, under Jesus' instructions, the disciples waited and they prayed until the Holy Spirit came upon them with power. And the Holy Spirit came upon them with power. They were able to do all the things that God had told them to do. The church went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. Why? Because of the work of the Spirit. But here's what's also interesting to me. (coughs) When Jesus talks about He's in the Father, uh, we're in Him, uh, He's in us, we can think about, okay, how does that work? It's like some sort of a some sort of a puzzle that you're trying to put together. But just think about it this way. If you think about where we live, you guys all know the difference between having a roommate and living in a home, don't you? You know the difference between sharing the same residence and sharing the same life. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. He's trying to say, listen, because of the Holy Spirit whom the Bible calls the spirit of adoption. Because of the Holy Spirit, here's what you can expect. Listen, not just to share the same residence, one day I'll be in heaven, but to share the same life, the very life of God. That life uniquely qualifies us to be involved in orphan care. See, guys, here's the thing about orphan care. It requires unique, lifelong processes and enduring love. Does that not sound like the fruit of the Spirit? Now, here's why I'm saying all this. I'm saying all this because I believe that it's God's calling on every single Jesus follower to be involved in orphan care. Let me make that super clear. I believe it is God's calling for every single Jesus follower to be involved in orphan care. 
That doesn't mean that everyone has to adopt. It doesn't mean that everybody has to do foster care. It doesn't even mean that everybody has to support and care for children. <laughs> but what it means is that we should say, okay, God, I want to pursue a life that where I care about orphans and widows. And I want that to be practically expressed. Maybe it's only practically expressed in the fact that we support those people in our church who do adoption and foster care. Maybe it's expressed in the fact that we are concerned with the most vulnerable fatherless in the West. You know who they are? Children in the womb who are going to be aborted. Maybe that's who we care for. Maybe it's shown in the fact that we make sure our own children are not left as orphans, that we take responsibility as parents to raise our children in the fear of the Lord, who would know God, know that His love for them. But the point is this. God calls all of us, listen, to be involved with this. You know why? Do you know why He calls us to this? Because He's a good Father. Because He doesn't want to leave any of us as orphans. It's really hard to talk about this stuff and not get emotional, especially for me. <laughs> I'm such an emotional guy. And sometimes I'm really embarrassed about how emotional I get about these kinds of things. But, you know, I'll tell you what. Some things should make us emotional. I think we should feel deeply about the need for every child to have a mom and dad. And that's not me at all being derogatory towards you single parents out there because you guys, man, you guys rock. You do a lot of hard work. But ideally, isn't this how God created things? Can we even know from what we've, we've studied psychologically and socially that basically the best thing for parents is to have, our best thing for children is to have a mom and a dad? And guys, listen, I believe the Father wants this because this is what the Father wants for every person he's created. He wants them to be his children. And it's important for you to understand, listen, just because you've been created by God doesn't automatically make you his child. This is what the scripture says. I'll close with this verse. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, that's receiving Jesus, to those who believed in his name. See, here's the thing. God has one only begotten son. His name is Jesus. But the amazing thing about adoption is adoption brings us into all the rights and privileges of a begotten son. And we have those rights and privileges as Jesus followers when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So you might be here today and you might be thinking, okay, this adoption stuff, yeah, it's important, and foster caring, yeah, I'm kind of stirred by these things. But you know what's more important? What's more important is that you know this father. Because we could give you statistics and show you pictures and probably guilt you into at least temporary action. But that's not the point. The point is, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wants to adopt you into his family. He wants, you to make, he wants to make you a joint heir with Jesus. If you're willing to put your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for you.